been a couple weeks since I preached. I was uh, on vacation. I was here last week, but I didn't preach. Uh, by the way, last week, uh, Margot Newcomb uh, shared with us about Mobility Worldwide. If you didn't get to hear that, I suggest go to our website and, and watch one of, the, uh, one, one of the services with that. She did a great presentation on uh, a ministry there and an invitation for us to participate in that for a mission trip to Liberia. And uh, today, I uh, just wanted to thank you all. Uh, to date, uh, around $12,000 has been donated to that, and we have about eight folks that are considering going on the mission trip for that. So that's, that's great. So we got to get away a little bit. Um, we didn't go to Colorado this year. Uh, we stayed close, took the three-year-old granddaughter to the beach, and I uh, did that for a while and just had a time to sort of uh, take a break and get ready for the fall as we're going. So um, I'm all ready to lay it on you now. So um, we're, we're glad you're, you're, you're here this morning. Uh, for those watching online, thank you for joining us. And we hope uh, you sense God's presence where you are as well. And uh, we consider you a part of our family. Um, this is sort of a one-off sermon this morning. We are in between series and stuff. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is um, we, we are going to take a, uh, uh, we're, we're going to focus on some of Jesus's uh, preaching. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest section of, uh, of teaching in the New Testament. If you have one of those red-letter Bibles that the words of Christ are in red, that's going to be your longest part with red letters in it, right? Uh, many believe, and, and I'm, I'm in this camp, many believe that um, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, sort of the best summary of what Jesus preached on a day-to-day basis, right? That this was, uh, this was his message wherever he went. This was the basis of what he taught. I think the disciples knew it backwards and forwards. Every town they'd go into, every time he pulled up a stump, any time he started talking, oh no, here he goes again. They knew everything that he was about to say. Um, But here's what's fascinating about that. When Jesus was teaching, and and the, the subject of these three chapters, is different than what you would think it would be. Religious systems in our mind are based on beliefs. And, and we talk a lot, a lot about what you should believe. But, God, but Jesus didn't teach about what you should believe. He taught about how you should act based on what you believe. That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, even in our denomination right now, there's, there's arguments around what you believe. And, and, and it is important what we believe. I'm not saying that. It is important what we believe. But I think too many times we put all of our eggs in the belief basket and belief is non-transforming. Belief does nothing. It's what you do with your belief that matters. And Jesus showing up in a Jewish uh, community preaching to mainly Jewish people is emphasizing for them that your traditions and observance of the law of of a religious system has left you empty and far from God. 
If you want to be, if you want to have a relationship with the Father, it's not about what you believe, it's what you do. It's how you act. The first section of, of chapter 5 uh, is the Beatitudes. Blessed are those uh, who, who uh, blessed are, are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. It's this list of blessings. They're called the Beatitudes. He starts off with this idea of this Christian lifestyle is not what you, what you say you believe. It's what we act on when you believe. Belief doesn't change anyone. We are called not to believe in something. We are, we are called to be in relationship with someone that drives us to be in relationship with one another. In fact, when Jesus was crucified, uh, the night before he was crucified, with his last shot with the guys, after having three years with them and teaching them over and over again, he put it all into one statement. Here is my commandment. It's almost like he's like, okay, you started with 10, you couldn't handle that. I gave you two, you're still struggling. Here's one. You should love one another the way that I have loved you. The, the mistake we have made in religious thinking is we think it's about the practice. We think it's about the belief. We think it's about the structure. When those, those things, they do matter. They, they, they do pay a price if you don't have those things in order. Please, I don't need your cards and letters. I understand we need a structure. You need beliefs. But those are not what's going to save you. The thing that's going to change us, the thing that God was trying to bring to the world was a people that were divinely influenced by who he is, that were transformed from who they were into who he wanted us to be, who he created us to be, so that the love he shared with us would then be transferred into the world around us. As, as he teaches over and over again, it, it is not about, oh, well, you need to go back and, and adjust this thought or adjust that thought. No, it was you need to treat people better. The kindness that God shows us, the mercy that God shows us, that's what he wants us to exhibit to the world. He, he, ta- he talks about it in a little different way later on in this Sermon on the Mount, that what, what resides in the core of who we are is what comes out in our expression. Whatever you treasure in your heart is going to come out in the world around us. And if what you treasure is yourself, and what you treasure is getting your way, and what you treasure is being... Uh, being mean to folks, well, that's what's going to be expressed in the world. When, when our beliefs don't match our action, what do we call that? Hypocrisy, right? And all your friends that don't go to church, that's what they think we're doing this morning, right? That was a nervous laugh, right? Because unfortunately... The church doesn't look much different than secular society in how we treat one another, do we? It's hard to tell the difference. 
What we're going to talk about this morning, mainly, if the section I'm going to read is in chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, in my Bible, it's headed with uh, teachings on anger. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And, and, and I mean, if there was ever a passage written for this decade, this is it. I mean, we, we are in some of the most conflicted times. And, and everyone is angry. Everyone is angry. In fact, we love to get angry, don't we? We're looking for reasons to get angry. We get angry about not having something to get angry about. If you want to throw a great party and get a lot of people talking around the, t- the table, start a conversation about complaining. Woo! I mean, we, at Thanksgiving, Lori has a tradition. She wants to go around the table and sit, share what you're thankful for this. You know, and, and it's always like, oh, okay, that's hard. But if you said, let's talk about who in the family is screwed up and how, how we're mad at them. We could talk for days about that. Right? We're angry about everything. Our leadership, our lack of leadership, too much leadership, not enough leadership. Not enough control, too much control. All these things we're just angry about. It, and it goes beyond just anger. We, we also have this thing in our, in our culture where we're all very entitled as well. We think we deserve more than we're getting. And I, and I know, I, I mean, I hear people talk all the time about those people who are entitled. And basically, here's how I summarize it. Every generation thinks every other generation is entitled. No one thinks they're entitled, but everyone else is, right? Millennials think boomers are entitled. Boomers think everyone else is entitled, right? We, 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 an entitlement is an elevation of my own self-importance. What I deserve, what I am owed, what I should receive. And when I don't receive what I think I should, I resent that and get angry. Another way of saying it is we get offended. Oh my gosh, we have a culture of being offended. We have created a social network in order to share our offenses with one another. From government leaders to the spaghetti that I received at the restaurant or the service I didn't get at Taco Bell. It is ridiculous. We are offended by everything. And again, it's because we live in this culture where ultimately we think we are the most important thing in the universe and everyone should be kowtowing to our needs. And folks, that works in secular America. Actually, it doesn't work, but it's the way of the world. But in a Christian lifestyle, that is not who Jesus asked us to be. We are called to be countercultural. The problem we make is that we, we, we want to do what comes naturally. And what comes naturally is that we are naturally sinful people. And we are naturally self-centered. And we are naturally mean to one another. It is only through divine intervention and the presence of God that we're able to transform for who we naturally are into who He can make us to be. If you are deciding a moral conflict or, or some dilemma in your wife and there's an easy way and a hard way, pay attention to the hard way. 
Because the easy way usually means it's more about you and you're going to get what you want. The hard way is going to be more about God and you're going to have to sacrifice something in order to get there. Anger, it's, it's so much a part of who we are and we celebrate it. I mean, we, we have this way of convincing ourselves that it's, it's our entitlement. Oh, well, I should be angry. I have every right to be angry. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. There's a passage in the, in the scriptures of Jesus overturning the tables and, and, at the temple uh, the week before he was crucified. And often in teaching, that's referred to as the righteous anger of Jesus. And I hear Christians all the time claiming, oh, I'm not angry, it's righteous anger. Well, no, Jesus had righteous anger. You're nothing like Jesus. You're just angry. Right? you got a ways to go before you can earn righteous anger. We, we, if there is, some, if there's, if there's a, a something that could change the flow of our culture, even in this space here, that could change is anger. How many times do we get angry about what was said at a church or at a service or what we think the preacher should have done or not done or what we thought that person meant when they stood up and left in the middle of the, or what they should have done or they could have done or why don't we? We're constantly... It's just a part of who we are. And, and if, if you're settled with the idea that we're just destined to be there, then you don't understand the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus wanted to remind us even then as he was talking to a Jewish audience, an audience who had grown up on a religious system that their, that their practice and their orthodoxy and their, uh, their attendance, they thought, and their birthright, they thought connected them with God. And Jesus shows up to say, you know, those, those religious systems, they have no power if, if you're not living what you say you believe. In Isaiah chapter 1, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, God says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. They mean nothing. You have dirty hearts. You're angry people. And then you parade through my courts and you think that's pleasing to me. No. What Jesus wanted us to, what Jesus is doing for us, uh, you've heard maybe before, Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is our picture of what God looks like and how he acts. What Jesus was showing us is that all of our religious system gets in the way of us understanding that really it's as simple as this. You should love one another the way that I have loved you. Let's look at our passage. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
When you're on our way to court, when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. This is a section in the, in, the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus does this pattern of saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And basically what he does over and over again, he takes some of the tenets of the Jewish belief system. He says, you've heard it said, and in this case he says, you've heard it said, you should not murder, right? Y'all realize those are, that's one of the 12 commandments, right? You should not murder. And it's one of our favorites because most of us haven't murdered anyone. So it's one we can stand behind with confidence. And yes, I haven't, I've never killed anyone. So I'm a good person, right? You should not murder. He says, we know that if you murder, it brings judgment. You've heard this said before. But I say unto you, and listen to this. He says, no, you've heard murder brings judgment. But I say, if you're angry with someone, Another way of saying it, if you have murder in your heart, and, but that allows us an escape route. Well, I didn't really want to kill him. I just wanted to hurt him a little bit, right? If you're angry with someone, it brings judgment. Pack the truck up, Jesus. What the heck? What, I mean, come on. I get why murder is against the way I got, but anger? You created people who are hard to get along with. And, and they've hurt me. And they've offended me. And I deserve better. And I mean, we have this whole way. But Jesus said, no. If you even think about it, if, if anger, if, if your spirit, if your core being moves from loving one another the way I have loved you into hating one another or disliking one another or any other synonym you want to use to wiggle your way out of feeling bad this morning. When your mind changes from anything other than love for another, you are moving against the flow of the nature of God because at the heart of who God is, relationship has always been key. Even the Godhead Himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, makes zero sense. I I, I don't get it. But that's what we believe, that even in the Godhead Himself, there is relationship. He created a whole world designed in five days. Light, dark, earth, uh, water, uh, birds, uh, animals. And ends it on the sixth day with human beings. Of which He says, this was all for you, so that I, I can have you and you can have me and we can be in relationship with one another. Relationship has always been the highest ideal to God. When religion enters the question, now we start ranking and stuff and we're able to judge and, and, and prod and everything and rank people, but that's not what God wants. He, he's saying, hey, when you're murdering somebody, even with your thoughts, and, and many of us can talk about what it feels like to have someone murder our self-confidence or murder our, uh, our hope or uh, our, our relationship. You, you, if we, everyone in this room knows the sting of hurtful, resentful, hateful actions. 
it does harm. Jesus said, that's not who I am. Here's my thought on why that is. I think when we exhibit anger, there's a reason why the Bible teaches vengeance as mine, saith the Lord, that judgment belongs to God, that he is the ultimate judge, that in his perfect supreme being, he has the wisdom, sight, knowledge, in order to be able to judge justly against the world. When we get angry, really what we are doing is in the midst of the situation, we are placing ourselves in the place of God. That our entitlement allows us, our hurt allows us, our not getting our way allows us to rise our, raise ourselves above someone else in order to pronounce judgment or punishment upon someone else. That doesn't belong to us. That belongs to God. It's another slippery slope. Once you start down the path of righteous anger, There's no room for God anymore because you're acting as if you were God over those around you. And here's the deal. Every single one of us is flawed. Every single one of us has a fatal disease known as sin. It's it's called human nature. And it hurts. And it attacks. And it offends. And it fights. But love is patient and kind. And gentle. It's different. And what Jesus is saying is, I, 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 I don't want you to do things the way, G, the, the, the way the world does. I want you to be more than. It's not just about going to church and, and, and going through the motions. It's, it's that thing that you say is the core of your being. And as Christians, what we are saying is we have exchanged our life, our hope, our agenda for His. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. I have died to my old self. I'm raised again in His life. I am a new creation in Christ. That in that new creation, I now treat people not the way other people treat people, but the way God treated me. That hallelujah, as much of a wreck as I am and as much of a wreck as you are, that we were adopted as sons and daughters into His family without reserve, even though we didn't deserve it. We, we fall into this trap of wanting to, uh, you know, well, everybody's doing it. Well, I mean, my dad used to tell me that. Well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you too? And the answer was, yes, I did, and almost killed myself, but yeah. No, it's not what everyone else is doing. It's what would Jesus do? that we're trying to set our sights on. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. There's a new order. The order of things has been flipped. It's a different pathway. We are called to a higher standard. To whom much has been given, much is expected. The more blessing God has poured upon you, the more he expects for us to share that with the world around us. He goes on to, to talk about, you know, if you call someone an idiot, and I looked that up, the Aramaic word was raka, and uh, it, I guess which is a, a derogatory um, 
uh, word uh, used in the Aramaic language, so idiot, I guess, comes close. Somebody told me, if you've ever watched the movie uh, Buddy the Elf at Christmas, right? He always calls people a ninny-headed ninny muggins or something, whatever. It's, it's calling something some derogatory name. In other words, your, your mouth matters. How many times do we shoot our mouths off in public or online? Behind the invisible desk, uh, the invisible screen of social network. What we say matters. The way we act matters. How we conduct ourselves professionally and legally and socially. Talks about court. None of that leads to any good outcome. It all leads to conflict. And that's opposite of the aim of the kingdom of heaven. So he says in verse 20. <coughs> 23. Sorry if you'll put that up there. Um, This is, for me, the most shocking part of this passage. Remember, he's he's talking to a Jewish audience and and many Pharisees in the audience, many religious leaders in the audience who, by the way, were there to be offended by his teaching and to be able to complain about what he was teaching, but uh, to be angry about that. But he's talking to a religious audience who had grown up with a sacrificial system which God had ordained and asked them to to observe it was a way to stay in relationship uh, with God that you would come to the temple you would bring your sacrifice you would give it to the priest it would be laid on the altar and and bleed out the aroma would be burned and sent to heaven it was God's provision of how to stay in relationship It was the thing that in their mind that connected them with God. And oftentimes people would travel for miles in order to get to the temple. It wasn't like, oh, we got five minutes to get to church. Uh, Let's just watch the news this morning. It wasn't like, I mean, they made a conscious decision, get up, go. You had to bring an animal that wasn't flawed. You had to bring a gift that that was perfect in order to present. And Jesus is so into relationship that he tells them, look what he says. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, so for 90% of people, they had to travel to get to the temple. So that means they had gotten up two or three days before, maybe traveled 30 miles, 40 miles. They had gotten their sacrifice together. They had taken them and their family. They'd made the pilgrimage all the way to the the temple. And the temple was a big deal. And it had this outer courtyard. And then within that was the, the sacrificial altar. And the priest would be there. And it was loud and noisy. And you had all these animals and everything. And you had the butchering of animals and the smell of, of meat and animal flesh on it. And the, the buzz of energy and especially on a high holy day when everybody's there, it was just crazy. And there would be a line often to, to present the sacrifice. And he, and he says, so if you get there and you've traveled all this way, and while you're standing in line, you, un, you remember that there's a problem between you and someone else. Now pause for just a minute. I'm first going to tell you what I would have written for this passage. So if you're in line and you're going to do the good religious thing, go ahead and do it and pray for the stupid idiot that you have something against, that God will strike fire on them and they'll change their mind and understand that they should be better. Isn't that sort of the way we do conflict in our 
I, I use myself so you can think I'm an idiot when it's really all of us, but come on. But no, that's not what he says. He says, uh, next verse, Sarah, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your sacrifice. Now, if you lived around the corner, even this was inconvenient. But if you live 40 miles away, and it was a big deal to do it. And you're, you're in agriculture and maybe in the season. And this was the one time you had planned to do it and everything. And, but to God, it was more important to Jesus that you restored the relationship than you doing the religious activity. Because the religious activity without relationship is meaningless. It was more important for Jesus that relationship be stored than you did the sacramental thing. This morning, we're going to be participating in uh, Holy Communion. And by the way, uh, we are using uh, these little individual serve ones. We'll, we'll be doing that for just a little while longer. Uh, people have asked, why haven't we moved back to coming up? And to be honest, here's a reason. Because when the pandemic came and these were hard to get, we basically bought half the company. And... <laughs> We're going to use them now. So um, when our supply goes back down, we'll be back to doing communion normally. But we're, it's a sacrament. It, it, it's a holy moment. It, it's a, it's a, what we call in the church a means of grace, a, 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 an activity by which we might sense the presence of God, right? It, it, it's a special thing for us. It, it, it is an offering of a sacrifice. It, God, in, in, in New Testament theology, God has offered the sacrifice. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have salvation. But Paul helps us to understand that what we bring to the altar now isn't an animal. It's a holy and living sacrifice, which is our life. And if we are coming to the altar with anger in our heart. You're practicing witchcraft or or some worthless kind of motion because it's not magic. It's more important that relationships be restored than for us to do the religious activity. The hypocritical break there. We, we got, and, and part of it is we do this like every month. Some churches do it every week. And so it's something we do over and over and it becomes sort of rote to us. In the, in the, in the, um, in the order of service for communion, it, 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 uh, it involves a, a time of confession before we receive. And this is why they have that. Before you receive the elements, that you do an examination of your heart and mind because you don't want to come to the altar with anger in your heart. Is there something between God and me? The invitation, if you have a desire to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, you are welcome at this table. Relationship is the key. Not just your relationship with God, but your relationship with God means you love His children. We love one another. 
This is my command that you should love one another the way that I have loved you. It says, first, leave the, leave the sacrifice, go home, take care of the thing, then come with a clean heart and an open heart. And one open to what God is and who He is and what He wants to do in my life and in the world around me. See, anger sort of acts like this filter block that doesn't allow the transformative power of Christ to enter into me. We, we need confession. We need humbleness. We need reconciliation. We need forgiveness. I'm going to suggest just a couple things. We... It's hard when you have been wrong to to want to forgive, right? It's hard. That entitlement rises up within us. Well, I didn't do anything. They did it. They don't do it. But as Christ's people, we need to be the first movers. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He made the first move. This is my command. You should love one another the way that I love you. We should offer forgiveness. It's interesting. It's interesting. He doesn't say when you, uh, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. This isn't that you got offended. This is someone else is offended by you. You have to humble yourself. This is hard. It's hard for all of us. You have to humble yourself. You have to admit you did something wrong. And I know all the language. I didn't intend it. It wasn't what I meant. I'm sorry you took it that way. Have you ever received that apology? I'm sorry you received it that way. (laughs) Thank you. Right? Now, humble Because remember, anger and judgment puts us in the place of God. Humbleness puts us at the foot of the cross where none of us deserve, and yet we're all offered free grace because of the sacrifice of Christ. Forgiveness, reconciliation, relationship, it's at the heart of the Christian movement. What you believe needs to be expressed in how you act. The core of who you are, I am a child of God, needs to be expressed in how we love one another. And love is not an emotion that's only served when we get our way. It's served in every circumstance and available to anyone and everyone. As I said, we're going to receive Holy Communion. And if you'll hold on on taking the elements, we'll take them together. But that night that he was with his friends, the night before he was going to be arrested, the night before, the disciples heard Jesus preach this over and over, but I don't think they really understood it until the night he was arrested and the next day at the cross. This whole thing about forgive people, don't don't take offense, don't be offended, don't get angry. I mean, they heard it, but they didn't digest it until they saw their Lord and Savior arrested and beaten and brutalized and mocked. And he didn't argue and he didn't fight back. 
He was brought before Pilate for a mock trial and accused and goaded into trying to say something bad. He didn't take the bait. And then the very most incredible thing, that he was hanging from a cross. He looked into the eyes of the people who had put the nails into his arms and his legs and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is my command. You should love one another the way that I have loved you. He said to his friends, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, passed around the table and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, remember me. Took the cup, he gave thanks, he passed around the table and said, this is, the, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Before we move on, I'm just going to give, I'm going to pause to give room for if, if something is in your mind, if you're aware of something this morning, if during our talk this morning, there is something that came to mind, there's, there's some kind of broken relationship between you and God, between you and someone else, I want to give you the place to share that with our Lord this morning. So why don't you just bow with me in your own heart and mind do that. And as you share that, number one, God's not surprised. He's not angry. And he hasn't turned his back on you. In fact, what the scriptures say is that he's faithful and just. And when we confess our sins, he cleanses us of our sins and restores us to righteousness. The old liturgy language is in, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us. We are no longer satisfied with what everyone else does. We want to be like you. We want to believe in you from the core of our being. We want it to come out in our actions and our words. God, as we receive this sacrament, as we take this bread and this juice, will you, will you allow it to be for us your body and your blood so that we can become your body and your blood for the world around us? We want to be one in Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll take your cup, expose the wafer, the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you.